we saw a large and significant reduction in the progression of the breast tumours. The number of mice that had any um, detectable um, pulmonary metastasis was significantly lower. Right, and that's interesting. It, of mice that did have pulmonary metastasis, there was significantly less pulmonary metastasis in those mice. So fewer of them developed any, and the ones that did had much less. Welcome to episode 57 of the Obsangani Quick Care Podcast. Hi everyone, welcome back to part two in this podcast series on the fascinating topic of onchoanesthesia, where we're discussing all things onchoanesthesia with Dr. Mark Johnson. So I think another area which is fraught with conflicting data will be opioids yes yeah so there are lots of reasons to avoid opioids um given the current uh issues with chronic opioid use and abuse in uh, in in general life and the the complications that can come with them however when i originally wrote this talk i advised against opioid use but further read reading I think ad- adequate analgesia is is more important and yes. I don't think you should avoid using what are one of the best classes of analgesics in the acute pain scenario. Yeah. Um good. So I I I think look you can look at various studies and it's like reading the bible you can find whatever you want if you look at all these individual tiny tiny studies but on balance and this would be oncological anesthesia in general on balance I don't think there's enough um, data out there to dissuade me from using opioids when I think they're indicated. No, my my general impression too is if someone's undergoing like a major operation, like a laparotomy or some sort of you know major cancer resection, it's pretty hard to get good pain relief if you don't use opioids at least for some portion of the perioperative period. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. Yeah, yeah. So effective <coughs> re- regional anaesthesia. Can, I mean, maybe you don't want to like just liberally give anyone who walks in with cancer um, big doses of targin and just send them home for months and months. Yeah, exactly. Saying, oh, you've got cancer, it's okay. Yeah. Because then you've got to you know, potentially immunosuppress them with opioids or whatever. Potentially, yeah. There is for the, long periods of time. Yeah. But certainly in like a perioperative mm. period when they're having a major surgery. Yeah. But still, I, I'm, in my mind, I'm trying, still trying to think if they came into hospital not on opioids, they should go home not on opioids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so um, trying to avoid them for discharge is, yeah. is definitely um, warranted. So to move on, I should have mentioned my conflict of interest at the start. That That's my, true. My pet topic is, is lignocaine, yep. and it's the current uh, focus of my ongoing PhD through the University College Dublin and, and again with supervision here in Australia through UWA. So lignocaine, systemic lignocaine is increasingly being used for its many effects. It's, um, its analgesic effects come to mind obviously it, it has modest effects on on acute pain it p- potentially has quite a large effect on inhibiting the um the development of chronic post-surgical pain which is yep. an exciting area as well it's it's got known anti-inflammatory and immunomodulatory effects it's been shown in in cells to uh, reduce cell viability of cancer cells and proliferation it has some opioid sparing effect it reduces pain, as I said. 
it can improve gut function so hopefully get the patient up and about earlier and get them home and get them um out and it has had some effects on reducing hospital stays in general surgery again my um work at home looked at giving it to mice with the cancer and we looked at we saw a large and significant reduction in the progression of the breast tumors the number of mice that had any um, detectable um, pulmonary metastasis was significantly lower right, and that's then interesting. It, of mice that did have pulmonary metastasis there was significantly less pulmonary metastasis in those mice so fewer of them developed any and the ones that did had much less and uh, we, mm-hmm. um, we published this in the BJA last year, 2018, and there was, in, in, there was more than an order of magnitude of difference in, in terms of yep. the, the number of um, metastases. So the benefits of, of lignocaine, it's, it's, it's in the perioperative setting, it's a very safe drug. It's, um, it's quite easy to give, and it wears off very quickly, which I suppose is a double-edged sword, but if you stop giving it, the half-life is approximately 20 minutes regardless of how long you've been infusing it. So the, That's right, even if you've been giving it for a few days. Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So if, if, the, if um, there were signs of toxicity, which characteristically are mild peripheral effects, such as ringing in the ears, tingling in the mouth, uh, that kind of thing, before the more serious um, CNS and cardiac effects occur, that if you do stop it, the symptoms resolve very quickly, generally. Um, so it has numerous perioperative effects and there's mounting in vivo data and hopefully with with um, upcoming RCTs we'll start to get some some um, robu- robust human data um, again it's a it's a very safe cheap drug that people are getting increasingly familiar with and I'd really advocate its use in the in the cancer setting yep Again, the mechanism of action is not necessarily known. It's probably, it's probably an interplay between direct effects on the the cancer cell and the subcellular in the subcellular area as well. It also um, is likely to have immunomodulatory effects and beneficial in that area as well. There's been some work on lignocaine in massive resuscitation as well, and in, in so to maintain blood vessel integrity and potentially uh, maintain the endothelial glycocalyx integrity. So this would be another potential mechanism that the actual extravasation of tumor cells will be inhibited if you've got intact cell lining and that will give the immune system more of a chance to attack that cell if it, if it remains in the, in yeah. the, okay, in the circulating system. However, this, this is kind of two steps away from having any, any data behind it. But hopefully, we'll start to look at look at this area as well. This is a, a pet topic of mine yep. as well. Yeah. And I'll, I'll try and get a list uh, of um, s- some good um, references from you at the end, Mark. Yeah, so if anyone yeah. wants to uh, yeah, read some papers and look at the stuff themselves, they can maybe click on a few links. Although, obviously, you can just look it up yourselves. Yeah. So the last few topics have been, or commandments have been do's. So we have potentially some don'ts now. So... Again, the data behind these is thin and it's potentially in certain tumours or not. Um, but potentially avoiding alpha-2 agonists and or corticosteroids may be beneficial in this. 
corticosteroids again they have uh, we, we all know and we frequently use them for their immunomodulatory effects however there is chances that they may disimprove outcomes so if you're giving that only as an anti-emetic and there's other anti-emetics you haven't used or just if you're if you have equipoise between that and, and danzatron or whatever you want to you're thinking otherwise in the oncological setting and maybe lean towards using the yeah the andanzatron and certainly if you were doing tiva with propofol yeah and you were going to give some andanzatron and droperiol or some other things yeah maybe you don't actually need to have dexamethasone in, in that mix because that's a precisely fairly, it's a fairly anti-emetic anesthetic yeah. anyway exactly yeah and then the alpha 2s which are quite popular again you can look up on protein atlases what if, if you just do a head and neck surgery if that's the only cancer surgery you do you can look up on the uh, protein atlases what what um, the head and neck tumors tend to express so you can look up um, alpha receptors head and neck and the expression is low so you might be like okay well I want to use dexamethotomidine post-op on these. The expression is low. I'm happy on balance to use that because I think the perioperative benefits of having a calm patient on dexamethotomidine outweigh, I think it's the best, it may be the best in your hands drug out there. And given that your head and neck tumors, for example, have very little expression of these receptors, you may think, okay, well, I'm happy to use it here. If we looked at potentially in the gynae setting where some of these are much more commonly expressed and again, post-op sedation, we, we don't really need to do it very frequently. Mm. Um, so you might avoid the alpha 2s altogether in this group. Right. For example, if you had a hypertensive patient, you might reach for the magnesium or a different agent over your clonidine or dexamethotomidine or that kind of thing. And again, it's, it's relatively easy to look up these um, these receptors on mm. the protein atlases but again this this is just postulating mechanisms again no, there's no right. data certainly no evidence in this area what's next so we kind of got to opioids but earlier i think we can, um, we can skip that we yep. can skip that i think now we'll just um kind of work towards the end and talk about we touched on the difficulty in in actually developing data and evidence in this area. Again, the heterogeneity of the disease, it just can't be underestimated. Like, um, And even within the same organ, there's different tumors that have different receptor status that may. So I think in any large trials, we need subgroup analysis will be particularly important. There's some, sometimes subgroup analysis gets gets a bad rep for just looking for looking for differences when maybe they don't exist but in yep. this area i think they'll be particularly prudent to to do subgroup analysis look at what drugs and what tumors and and, and, and the receptor status is exactly yeah. yeah and we know we know in breast cancer for, for example that receptor status has a gigantic uh, um, um, influence on outcomes so yeah it's definitely right. plausible that that this will be a similar area i think another um potentially interesting area is lose, losing these drugs to the oncologists as well that if lignocaine does have for example does have a benefit like why would you just give it for the two hours or or with a post-op infusion why wouldn't it when they come in for their chemotherapy just run it alongside and yeah that's, that's really fascinating isn't it yeah I, I especially don't, if the just what you described with your mouse model um yeah presumably you were given the chemotherapy and 
Well, that was, was a, a that was a, a different group, um, but they were giving repeated doses, yeah. uh, repeated exposure, and they weren't they weren't doing any surgery. Right. They were just repeated, so they had the tumor and repeated exposure to uh, to the lignocaine, and they had much less, much lower tumor growth. So that that's an interesting area. I don't think the the interest is quite picked up yet at that at that side. Yep. I know Professor Buggy has has focused his attention towards um, publishing some of his work in the general cancer papers as opposed to the anaesthetic papers because they to be a, a wider readership potentially yeah. and also to get to perk up interest in that in that field. Yeah, a bit of um, interaction between different uh, areas of medicine is always useful, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And then the, the drawbacks and the... I like don't fully know if in 25 or 30 years time this will be a known subspecialty it may just we do some big trials the equipoise and it may kind of go away again or we need to go back to the drawing board look at different drugs or different modes or different lengths of duration or, or that kind of thing so so far the studies have been fairly poor they generally follow up analysis of, of rcts designed to check for something else so they're not adequately powered for cancer outcomes so a lot of ones that showed initial promise have have not been repeated or when they have been repeated they have kind of swung back to the null hypothesis they're quite difficult to design and fund a lot of the drugs we're using are, are very cheap which is good and bad so for funding yeah. the companies who make them aren't particularly interested in potentially funding them i suppose the drug costs are minimal when i know in any trial that i've written with lignocaine my my or any any of the drugs aforementioned drugs the actual drug costs are, are are near negligible which is which is good for for um for designing these However, the lack of translational research, which our UCD group are working towards changing and um, is, is hopefully going to give us more data in the future too. When, when you nail your colours to the mast or when they become a major prospect of RCT, you kind of want to think you're in the right ballpark before you, before you do that. And which yeah, is different. Right. So... I suppose a natural thing then, if, if the data is so poor or absent, why why should we care at all? Uh, it's an understandable question that I think many of the listeners, if they're, if they're still listening, are probably thinking why... Um, we might split yeah. it into two, but yeah. keep going, this is, really, this is gold. So <laughs> if we can improve outcomes, I think um, hypnosis, amnesia and um, muscle relaxation probably isn't enough in, as we're specialists that we can we can do that pretty easily if there's an, if there's ways that we can improve outcomes by giving or not giving or the mode of delivery of the medications that we can do um, and if we can improve our role in cancer care this is a no-brainer we should obviously yeah. um, take this on board it's an exciting area of research anesthesia in general doesn't change a, a huge amount i think if um beginner roger walked into a today's theatre now he could probably deliver the anesthesia without I suppose ultrasounds have gotten a bit better but other than that it's fairly fairly much the same as what's been going on for decades in terms of most of the drugs we have and how we <coughs> deliver them is, is quite similar and, and the drug uh, side of things definitely I agree yeah there yeah. hasn't been a lot of change in that area exactly yep. yeah yeah a few new toys I suppose but the drugs are very similar 
again, the, it's, a lot of the drugs that are being examined, they're existing drugs. So you're not being told to start giving a drug that you've never seen or heard of before. It's often repurposing drugs, which are often cheap and widely available, which, mm. which really enhances how, um, how if there is data, it can be disseminated into the wider mm. area because you are using what's, what's really well, I guess, I guess uh, giving lignocaine as an intravenous infusion is fairly sort of... Um, uh, new for a lot of people though yeah it um, is I think it it's is it's an old drug that we've used for a long time yeah and there was not in that manner. frequently deep suspicion into or fear of giving it into the intravascular department yeah well that was actually first uh, the first paper was published in 1952 I did a talk on this a few years ago yeah so it's not so it's not, so it's new, not actually but yeah, new but people, people especially outside <laughs> of the operating theatre people are think yes. it's associated with instant death if there's, if there's any um, intravascular <laughs> it's a local anaesthetic and, yeah. we, and we um, hammer people about how dangerous they are that's it sometimes so uh, I briefly talked this, the vapor C trial is the is the exciting upcoming one it's a two by two trial looking at propofol versus uh, volatile anaesthesia with or without lidocaine so hopefully again they'll be recruiting for between five and eight years roughly and the follow up will be quite similar it's um it's looking at it's looking at gut and um, lung tumors, so hopefully, I suppose we're talking quite a long time to get the results from this. But hopefully, when this comes out, we'll have some hard data that we can point towards that yeah. will hopefully show us a benefit of one thing over the other. And has it started uh, already, or is it? Um, I'm not sure I can get back to you on that okay. one, but but, I'll, um, but even if it has, yeah, it I hasn't think been it, out for very long. So we're looking no. at five to eight years before you know anything. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. it'll be it'll be a while before they've finished recruiting. And then, obviously, given the nature of of uh, follow up times, it'll be quite a long time after that. And there's just so many different things you can study. I mean, you've touched on ten things, uh, and even while we were talking, I thought of three other things that I was going to ask you if, you've, if, okay. if there's been any research on. So the things that came to my mind were ketamine, yep. nitrous oxide, and the FiO2. So yep. uh, the, the amount of oxygen you expose the patient to. And I know, I mean, I, in my mind, I, I thought I've heard of stuff. I thought that maybe I've read something in the, in the past or heard about this yep. sort of thing before. Again, in terms of ketamine, there hasn't been a huge amount of work on it. It, it does have known modulatory effects. It's kind of undergoing a bit of a renaissance as well in terms of analgesia and that kind of thing. It, we did use it as a um, analgesic agent, or sorry, an um, anesthetic agent in some of our mice trials. It's not the easiest drug to use in mice, um, especially when co-administered with lignocaine is uh, uh, fatality is, is pretty common unfortunately but again I will talk about the the original paper I suppose I looked at the effect of any uh, cancer or sorry cancer outcomes in and their role with anesthetic agents was in 2003 the melamed paper which they what they did was they injected tumor cells into the tail vein of, of rodents um, with various anaesthetic agents such as thiopropofol, ketamine and control which is saline and they looked at basically how sticky the cells were or how much uh, deposit of the cells were were um, left behind after um, after this injection and propofol came out quite well and ketamine came out quite poor 
poorly. This is quite a burgeoning area of research, okay, so, so it's just very it's little. Unknown, yeah, it's unknown. Yeah. It, it's known to be a modulatory, but we don't we don't know. It's not, there's definitely not enough to affect yeah, practice. Okay. Um, Again, the other two drugs so mentioned uh, in terms well, of oxygen, oxygen, which is a drug as yeah. well. Um, in 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 vitro work has shown a potentially detrimental effects of high oxygen yeah. exposure. Again, there's there's no um, animal or human prospective work in this area. And the third one, nitrous oxide. Nitrous oxide. Again, we we're not sure. We like there was some. We uh, we had worked with air liquid in looking at xenon anesthesia which showed some promising in vitro some promising cell work in terms of inhibiting uh, the some of the signs that show a cell will be uh, more metastatic however the it didn't show any difference in the, yeah. in the mouse model i think the exposure to a gas particularly is so short-lived uh, and again it's prohibitively expensive, difficult yeah, to right. use, and unavailable as, as as we are now. So, um, that was one area which we looked at, but didn't didn't show any difference. And even if it did, it's it's such a nice move for so many anesthetists. It'd be hard for to say, look, this is a silver bullet. But I still don't want to give it. You know, that's it's just <laughs> yeah. too I've hard. I've never yeah. even been. A that's it. Uh, near a, a hospital that uses xenon, so it'll be. Uh, yeah, it's, and uh, the the MAC is so high as well, so it's pretty. It's it's quite hard, quite hard to uh, to work with. I think we want to wrap it up there, Mac. And in fact, um, we've gone for quite a while, and it's all been really interesting. Okay. We might split this into two episodes to make it a bit more palatable and easy <laughs> for people to listen to on their journey to work or uh, okay. when they're at the gym. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure if everyone everyone's workouts will go as long as uh, it will last forty five minutes. Um, but um, it's really fascinating. Thanks again for sharing your uh, your experience, and um, you know, hopefully, it would be nice to think that uh, somewhere down the line we can uh, learn something new from from all this ongoing research, which will make a, a positive impact on on what we do with our cancer patients that come through the hospital and that we have to care for. Great. Thanks for having me on, Roger. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please go to the iTunes menu and subscribe to the show if you like it. Write a review. This will also help us uh, get seen by other listeners on the iTunes menu. If you're also interested, please go to our website at www.opsandgynecritcare.org where there will be lots of show notes and links to uh, interesting videos related to the topic that you've just listened to. See you again next time.